When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Thoughts from a Page podcast, which is a member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each episode I interview authors about their latest works and others in the book world about their jobs, what those jobs entail, and the books that they love. For more book recommendations, check out my earlier episodes and my website, thoughtsfromapage.com, and follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Thoughts from a Page. Thanks to Maggie Garza of HTX Real Estate for sponsoring my podcast. Today, I am chatting with Kimmy Cunningham Grant about one of my favorite books of 2021, These Silent Woods. Kimmy is the author of three books and a two-time winner of a Dorothy Sargent Rosenberg Memorial Prize in Poetry and a recipient of a Pennsylvania Council on the Arts Fellowship in Creative Nonfiction. She studied English at Bucknell University and Messiah College. She lives, writes, and teaches in Pennsylvania. I hope you enjoy our conversation. You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes, and luckily, that's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Calafato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts, and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style, and together, we're going to try to make sense of the world all through the art of storytelling, and all in approximately seven minutes. Welcome, Kimmy. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. I am so glad you're here because this is one of my very favorite books of the year, These Silent Woods, and I just cannot wait to talk about it. I have so many questions, and I just want to hear all about how you came up with the idea and wrote the book and everything. Well, that means a lot coming from an avid reader like yourself, so thank you very, very much. And I was thrilled to pieces to see that it's a November Indie Next pick, so congratulations. Thank you. I was thrilled, too. Well, as we're starting out, why don't you tell me a little bit about These Silent Woods for those that won't have read it yet? Okay. These Silent Woods is about a father and daughter who are living in the remote woods in in Pennsylvania, and they are hiding and we don't really know why it's so important that they that they are not found but we know that that it is important to them. So one year their friend who does know where they live, they live in his cabin, he doesn't show up with the annual supply run. And so they realize they have to start shifting things around and they have to come up with a, a second plan. Once their friend doesn't come they they need to go out into the world and get supplies and they have to shift their hunting plan. And when they do that, they end up seeing someone in their woods. And from there, things begin to start crumbling for them in this tenuous world that they've built for themselves. How did you come up with the idea for this story? How did you decide to use bird names for the main characters? Everything. I just want to hear how it all came about. I talked about this a little bit before, but years ago, I wrote a short story where a man felt that his infant daughter was in danger. And so he took her and 
dropped her off at a friend's and then he went into the woods and he was hiding and sometimes he would see her. And so it was, you know, sort of this questionable ground, whether he really saw her or whether he thought he saw her. So anyway, I sent this short story out widely and it got rejected dozens of times, but it got rejected with personal notes. And so I felt like, all right, there's something there. I'm not going to give it up just yet. And meanwhile, I started to get an image of it in my head. And in this image, I won't go into details because it could be a spoiler, but the gist of it is that someone saw something and knew that they should tell what they didn't want to tell because it would jeopardize their own safety. And so I had that image in my head. And then I also had this story that, that I couldn't get out of my head. And one day I sort of realized pretty quickly that those two things could be one and the same, that they really could be the same story. And so once I got that in my mind, I, I was able to start taking off with the with the idea for the book. As far as the birds, I, I should give my son credit here because he is an avid birder and has always been really into watching birds and he's taught me a lot about birds. And so they made their way into the book probably because of him. I love birds as well. And I think that's one of the things that first appealed to me because when I got your book, I got it with a really cool package from Minotaur where it had a sheet that's Cooper and Finch's Guide to North American Birds. It had an Audubon bird call, a really cool candle and matches. And so that piqued my interest immediately. I sat down in the chair in my room where I often read and I was like, I'm just going to flip through this book for a few minutes. And I read the entire thing that Saturday. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I mean, I literally was like, no one talked to me. It was just so good. The cover is beautiful. It fits the story so well. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But just everything about it really appealed to me. But I think the bird thing is what first started it because I love birds, too. And so I kind of thought it was just so much fun that Cooper and Finch had their names based on birds and all of the little stuff that Minotaur came up with for the book. Yes, they did such a great job with all of that. And a fun little fact is that a long time ago, the book was called Flight. Oh, really? Yes, they, uh, it got changed, which is great and fine. I love the new title. I love the new cover. But since you were talking about the birds, I thought I'd let you know. That was the original title. Because <laughs> I always actually ask about titles. So we can just go ahead and talk about it right now since you brought that up, because it's fascinating to me. Usually titles either start one way and then there's a thousand different ideas and it ends up something else or it starts with another and it just stays the whole time. So what was your title story like? Obviously it started with flight and then what happened from there? Well, from there, I think my editor also liked that title. But, you know, one thing I've learned from, from publishing books is that I am not a good title writer for one thing, but also there are people who know such things better than I do. And there is a bit of a science and an art as well to, to picking titles. And so when these professionals know what would be a good title versus this one might not jump off the shelves or, or catch a reader's attention. So none of my titles have ever stuck. They've <laughs> never made it through. Well, maybe someday, right? Maybe someday. <laughs> well, and the thing about flight, I do think it fits the story very well, but it could also mean so many other things. And so I'm sure they were trying to do the thriller vibe idea and to make sure people understood that. And I think flight could go a lot of different directions. Yes, that's it. Precisely. That's exactly what they said. Back to writing the book. What kind of research did you do? I mean, obviously they're living off the grid. 
And so you had to learn a lot about that, unless that's something you already know a lot about, and what it would be like to live remotely like that for long, long periods of time. Yes. Well, I, I live in the woods, but not nearly as remotely as they do. Some people would not consider this remote at all. But I did have friends who came to visit from New York City a couple of years ago, and they were like, it's kind of scary out here. So I think it depends. But I do live in the woods. So I spend a lot of time in the woods and I am, I'm married to a biologist. He studies ecosystems and ecology. And so he teaches me the proper names of trees and flora and fauna and whatnot. So I do try to pay attention to those types of things. And my kids are both really into that type of information as well. So I've learned from them too. So as far as researching that I do, I worked really hard to make sure I had the right type of plants growing in swampy areas and and that type of thing. So that takes a little bit of research. And I think just considering, I've always been interested in survival narratives and this idea of living off grid. We don't live off grid. I am interested in it. So I've watched different TV shows and, you know, read different books about that type of stuff. So it was always interesting to me. Okay. So you did have some knowledge about that before you sat down to write the book. Yes, definitely. That would be very foreign to me. So I would have to do a lot of research if I were (laughs) contemplating writing about somebody living off the grid. Are you a plotter or a pantser? So did you know every twist and turn before you sat down to write the book or did some of them evolve as you wrote? Well, typically I don't know every twist and turn. And I generally, I start out a book with sometimes an image, sometimes not, or just a character. I don't necessarily have an exact starting point. But if I feel excited enough about an image or a character, I'll usually go ahead and just start writing. But I always end up having to outline because I lose track of when things are happening and whether I needed to say this before X happened or after. And so I always end up charting and creating sort of a outline, chapter outline for myself. I can't go the whole way without uh, having a plan. I just think with thrillers, you almost have to because, you know, you have different pieces of information that you want to disseminate over the story. But if you do it too soon or too late, it doesn't fit into the whole narrative. So having some guidance as to where different pieces of information should come out and how they're going to come out and to whom, you know, some of that it would just seem would be so much easier if you plotted it out. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. There are times when just sit down and write it down by hand, like chapter by chapter, what's happening. And then I think, when would be a good place? This does need to happen. When should it happen? And then I can kind of, once it's sketched out for me, I can look back and and figure out, okay, let's move this chapter up. I end up copying and pasting a lot. Well, that makes sense. And then when you do move something like that, then it's going to kind of snowball and potentially impact everything else, especially with a story like this, where everything's kind of building on each other. Yes. Who is your least favorite character and who is your most favorite character to write? Well, I try to have fun writing all my characters, even the ones I don't like. So I really dislike Judge in this book. And I and I hope that comes across that he is thoroughly unlikable. But even Judge, I think, you know, by the end, maybe character, maybe readers can look and say, well, maybe he wasn't quite as bad as I thought he was. Um, <laughs> so, but I did really love writing Finch. And I also loved getting into the head of Cooper. I just really, really had a good time writing from 
his point of view and exploring like how would he react to this? What would he say here? And what would he do in this moment? I had a lot of fun doing that. And he always sort of has this overarching stress, worry hanging over him at all times. Yes. Yeah. He's shaped by that at all, at all times. So I had a lot of fun getting into his head and writing from his perspective. Well, we already talked about the title, but I'd love to talk a little bit more about the cover. I just love it. I am such a cover person and I love really cool covers, but I also love when the cover matches the story. It drives me crazy when I get to the end and I'm like, I really like this cover and I really like this book, but they don't go together. And these go together so well. And I love how part of the W is covered by the trees. And I just think that Minotaur did a wonderful job. Were you just thrilled when you saw it? I was really thrilled. I love the cover. I also love that the W is partially sinking into the mountains. I'm really grateful that it looks authentic to sort of where I was picturing this book taking place. And I'm just really, really happy with how it turned out. And I will say, you know, they are so wonderful. They were so good to me that this is going to sound, I was worried that I would sound like a diva, but I asked them, they first sent it and I said, is there any way you could add a porch to the house? Because there are scenes on the porch and there has to be a porch. And they went back and added it because they're so wonderful. And they weren't even rude about it at all, but I really wanted that porch. (laughs) I love that because again, you know, it's that same kind of thing. If you have written a story about a house and then the house doesn't look anything like the author described it, people kind of are like, well, I don't understand. So that's wonderful that they added the porch. And it just, it's so isolated looking, but it's beautiful and Mm -hmm. it just draws you in. And I like that the these is black, but Silent Woods is red. I just think it's all very cool. Yes, I was really, really happy with it. I, I love how it turned out. Was this the first initial draft? Is this what they sent you originally? Other than the porch? <laughs> Other than the porch, it is what they sent me. Oh, that's great. And Minotaur does a lot of mysteries and thrillers, so I feel like they kind of have a good sense of what the cover should look like for that genre. Yeah, they did a wonderful job. I'm, I'm really happy with it because it's, it's a little spooky, but it's also really beautiful. So I'm, I'm really happy with how it turned out. Good. That's always so nice. So this is your third book, is that correct? That is correct. Do you feel like you've learned a lot from book one to book three? Definitely. My first book was nonfiction, and I had the privilege of doing a lot of that under the direction of a graduate thesis advisor at Bucknell. And so I felt like I had a lot of support as I was writing that. Um, And that required a ton of research. And I had certain parameters because I wanted it to be faithful to the truth. And then when I tried to write my second book, Fall Mountains, I just, it, it just took me so long. And I, at one point, I mean, I had a good time. I was having fun writing it, but it wasn't working. And at one point I had this realization that I needed to like completely remove a character and storyline. And so I went through, cut 40,000 words from, from that manuscript oh, wow. and then rewrote it and sent it to my agent. She wasn't my agent yet. But she did accept it after she did take me on as a client after that. But that just took it just took so much time because I didn't really, I think, understand what I was doing. And then, and I was doing it largely alone, just reading a lot and trying to teach myself, you know, how do I do this? And then this book, well, it was also it, it came a lot faster to me, I think, probably because I maybe I'm getting a better handle on how to write fiction, but also it was really refreshing to, to write from one point of view instead of 
third person with, uh, I was limited in multiple points of view. So I think I'm, I think I'm learning. I'm getting a little bit faster. I'm never running against a clock, but it's reassuring when you don't have to cut 40,000 words from every manuscript. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it is because yeah. it has to be painful. Yeah, it was painful. It was necessary, but it's hard to let go of those, you know, hard earned pages. Well, I would think that over time, the more you write, like you said, you learn, there's a process to it too. And I think sometimes people don't realize that when they first start writing that you can't just really sit down. I mean, you can just really sit down and write a book, but there is a process to it. And it's a lot easier if you try to kind of follow one of the processes that are out there. Yes. And I think that's probably what I have am slowly still figuring out. But, you know, like I was saying earlier about needing an outline, I think maybe if I had mapped things out earlier on in my first novel, I would have figured out that it wasn't heading in the right direction. But I just was you know, writing and getting lost in it. But it's good for me eventually to start mapping out my, what my plan is and probably sooner rather than later. Yeah, because it can still change. It's just that it at least gives you the structure to get started. Yes, it always does change, but it is good to have a, a map, a loose map. Absolutely. I find that part fascinating because some people will outline and say they don't waver from their outline at all. And then most people say they create an outline and then as they go, things obviously change and you have to bob and weave a little bit. Yes, I was doing an event with Alphaspini this summer and I was really fascinated because she said she plans so much and has all these notes and arrows and a huge map drawn out and she then she ends up writing really quickly because she spent so much time in that planning phase of her process. So it's just really interesting how different writers have really different approaches to getting their work done. Jane Harper is the same way because I've interviewed her a variety of times and she does the same thing. She spends so much time, like her outline is just pages and pages and pages, but by the time she goes to write, it's easy to write. So it's just really where you spend your time in the process. You know, it's all getting done. It's just sort of which part of the process for you takes longer. Yeah, absolutely. And I, that's something I tell my students who are often first year writers. I, you know, I try to explain to them, I can't really tell you your process, but some people spend more time in that planning phase and some people spend more time in that revising phase. It just depends on what your strengths are. And and you have to understand that, as you were saying, there is a process to it. You know, you don't just sit down, crank it out and it's perfect and done. Yes. And, uh, you know, that was kind of a surprise to me. I knew that you didn't crank it out and it was perfect and done. I knew there was editing and all of that. But I didn't realize that there are all these books out there on sort of the way you write a story and that, you know, this many pages in such and such should happen, you know, or or just, you know, the next thing happens here, leave it on a cliffhanger, whatever it is, that there are ways that you can write that make it more effective. And I was totally unaware of that. Yeah, that was surprising to me when I learned that as well. I guess it's just one of those things until you're either sitting down to write a book or interviewing a bunch of people that are writing books (laughs) that you might not know. But what about advice for aspiring authors? It sounds like you teach authors. So what do you tell them other than find your process? Yes. Well, I think one of the more interesting and useful things that I've ever heard someone say, it was when I was at Messiah as an undergrad and, and Catherine Patterson was speaking and she said, writers have to have the thinnest skin and the thickest skin. 
And that really resonated with me because it's so true. Writers are, you know, we're always looking and observing and, and feeling and envisioning what it, what it would be like to be in someone else's shoes and considering how to properly capture that. And at the same time, the actual business of it can feel really brutal. I mean, you can, even when you have a really trusted reader, like your agent or a really good friend or your editor, you know, there are going to be conversations where they're going to say, this needs to go, or this did not work. And you have to have thick skin to accept that. And of course, on top of that, most writers, I won't say all, but we all have had rejection. It's a huge part of, of being a writer, you know, that you get rejected a lot. And so I think it, if I, what I would tell aspiring writers is, you know, keep working at it, but, but have, keep your thick skin and keep your thin skin. Be prepared for the rejection and, and all the hardships, but keep on writing. I like that, the thin skin and the thick skin. Yeah, I thought it, it made a lot of sense. It does. And really, you're right about the thick skin in the process, you know, where you're discussing like the agent and the editor, but then you also have to have thick skin when the book gets out into the world with social media and everything these days. There was just another incident of an author who was tagged in a really negative review, and she was understandably really unhappy and was talking about it on Twitter. And I thought, I just don't get that. Like after all these conversations over and over again, why reviewers continue to tag authors in negative reviews. But I just think that does mean you've got to have thicker skin when you're going to be potentially seeing your name popping up and thinking, oh, somebody's talking so nicely about my book. And then you read it and you're like, oh, maybe yeah. not. So hopefully that will not happen to you. But I just think that unfortunately, some people just still don't get it. Yeah, but that is so true that even after the book is done, after that major, you know, milestone of getting it accepted and published and, and the additional milestone of getting an agent before that, you know, then the reviewers, but also the readers, because people are even just not an official reviewer, but reader can say whatever they want about right. your work that you spent years doing. And so, yeah, it's important to have that thick skin, to get through all of that. Yes, because I think people do forget sometimes you did spend years doing it. And so just to kind of remember, every book is not for every person. And I am definitely, you know, I, every book does not resonate with me. You know, I'm not unkind or mean, and I'm certainly not tagging anybody if I don't like it. Yeah, the tagging thing is always a little puzzling. <laughs> it is puzzling. And it's one of those things that comes up over and over again. So then I think, how did somebody miss that? But oh, well, I guess that's just the nature of the world we're in right now. Yes, I think so. Well, are you working on anything at the present that you'd like to share with me? <laughs> well, I am working on something. Uh, there's a long explanation, but the gist of it is that many years ago when I was writing my first book, I discovered as I was researching that the United States had brought about 2,000 Latin Americans from their homes that were of Japanese descent, and they brought them to the United States, and they spent the war in prison just as we rounded up 110,000 Japanese Americans here. Right. So once I discovered this, I knew that maybe someday I might want to return to it and try to write a book about it. And at the same time, I also learned that we had spies, a lot of whom were archaeologists, and they were working secretly for the American government to gather intel in Latin America. And so I started exploring what might happen if an American spy was sent to watch 
the Japanese Peruvian population and ended up falling in love with a Japanese Peruvian woman and all of the entanglements and hardships that such love could bring. And so that is kind of where my new book is heading. Oh, that sounds fantastic. And it sounds like a story that I have not ever read before. And I always love new things like that. Well, thank you very much. I'm, I'm hopeful that it will be. <laughs> it's not sold yet. So just still working on it. Well, keep my fingers crossed. Thank you. Well, before we wrap up, what have you read lately that you really liked? I think one of the last books that I just really couldn't put down was Where the Lost Wander by Amy Harmon. I really liked it. It's historical fiction and very poetically written. And um, it was just beautiful. The story was everything I'm looking for in a book. I did also really like the book of lost names. And just yesterday, I opened up Peter Heller's new book, The Guide. I have heard such good things about the Peter Heller book, but I haven't read it yet. And is this the one, is it the second in the series? Yes. Okay. So I haven't read the series. I'd need to go back and pick up the first one. And I love the book of lost names. Yes, it was so good. I I love World War II, so I will never tire of World War II stories. But it's just always amazing to me that there are still so many stories that are untold. Yes. Yeah. It was really eye-opening. And um, I just love hearing stories about people being really courageous in the midst of hardship. And I like stories of resilience as well. I agree. Well, good. Well, Kimmy, thank you so much for joining me today. I was just so excited that we were able to do this because as I keep saying, I absolutely loved These Silent Woods. Everyone needs to read it. So I appreciate your time and I'm glad you came on the Thoughts from a Page podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It was a great honor. And thank you so much for loving and endorsing the book. I really, really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you like this episode, and I hope you did, Please consider joining my Patreon as a page turner. Follow me on Instagram at Thoughts from a Page. Tell all of your friends about the podcast and rate it or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would really appreciate it. The book discussed today can be purchased at the Conversations from a Page bookshop storefront, and the link is in the show notes. Thanks to Maggie Garza for sponsoring this episode, and I hope you'll tune in next time. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.